the law of confession, we're talking about Bible examples of the law of confession in operation. This is our third week on this topic. The basic scriptures are Mark 11.23, he'll have whatever he says. Job 6.25, how forceful are right words. I've added another one, Job 22.28, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established to you. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And James 3.2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we're asking you to flood and fill us with your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened, that we might know the hope of your calling, the exceeding greatness of your power to us, and that we might also have revelation of your inheritance in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So far in this series, we've seen the power of the tongue. We've seen God's first use of spoken words, which was to speak creatively. We've seen that Jesus taught the law of confession. We've seen the Holy Spirit expanded on this with the different things James said, giving examples or illustrations such as your tongue is like the bit in a horse's mouth. Your tongue is like the rudder on a ship. Your tongue is like the kindling for a fire. And your tongue is harder to tame than any wild animal. No man can tame it, but God can tame it through his spirit as we yield to him in speaking in tongues. And God can tame it through his living word as we fill our hearts with his word and it overflows through our life. And in these Bible examples of the law of confession in operation, we looked at the 12 spies and we found out that you will get exactly what you say consistently. We looked at David and found that through speaking words, we can build a highway of holiness for the future of our life that can transfer on into our offspring and on until the eternal destiny for what we said comes to pass. Through Elijah last week, we learned that we can bring God's written word to bear on our nation and, of course, on our family, in our friendship groups, our social groups, our church, our business, our place of employment or school, whatever the case may be. And today we're looking to see what we can learn about the law of confession in operation. Number four, from Elisha we learn to speak spiritual reality, not physically obtained facts. Now, when I say physically obtained, I'm talking about the eyes, the ears, you know, the sense of smell and taste and feel and touch and those kind of things. Predominantly, we learn a lot about the world around us by what we see and hear, and I guess also by what we smell, and by our feelings, our flesh, what's being communicated to us, you know, from the world, the flesh and the devil. These all bring to us their version of the facts the way things are, the way things appear to be. But from Elisha, we learn to hold fast the confession of what we believe as revealed to us from God. A, Elisha's confession releases horses and chariots of fire. Notice we read this passage that Gehazi, which is Elisha's servant, confessed what his eyes could see whereas Elisha confessed what he believed by revelation. There's a huge difference, and the outcome of these words 
are poles apart. Let's read it. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. So one night the king of Aram, we'd often say in other translations, the king of Syria, sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. They're surrounding the city of Dothan, where Elisha is with his servant. The background of this, of course, is that the Syrians were regularly trying to invade Israel, but Elisha kept hearing from God where they would attack. He warned the king, and the king would be ready for their surprise attack and overwhelm them every time. The king of Syria got so upset, he thought there was a traitor in his camp, but when he questioned his men, he found out that it was really the prophet who was doing it. So he determined to silence the prophet. So when he found out where he was, he sent all these horses and chariots and surrounded this town called Dothan, where Elisha was. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Listen to what comes out of his mouth. Oh, sir, now he's talking to Elisha. What will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Interesting, Elisha's servant shows us what the natural man, the flesh-controlled man, the worldly man will say. He will describe the way things are. We notice that when God was creating the world in Genesis chapter 1, his first use of spoken words were not to describe the way things were, otherwise he would have said it's dark, it's formless, and it's void. He didn't say that. He said, let there be light, the exact opposite of what appeared, which was dark. When he did, his words creatively changed what was obvious to the eyes, the ears, the sense of smell, etc. And God wants us to be the same. He wants us to start speaking creatively to change circumstances, to change what appears. Remember, if your flesh or anybody else says you're lying to speak what isn't, then just think to yourself, in that case, God was lying when he said, let there be light in the face of a dark, formless void. He wasn't lying. And you'll see today as we continue in this message that Jesus also did many such confessions that changed things, not described them. And what he said looked so much like a lie that in one case, people laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed him for what he said. Let's read on. Now, Elisha said, there are many more on our side than on theirs. Remember, Elisha's servant spoke to describe what was. Having done that, he cannot possibly change it. He's reinforcing the fact that they were outnumbered and surrounded. Elisha, on the other hand, spoke what he had perceived spiritually from God, and what he said was the real truth behind the scene, and because he said it, it could come into actual operation in the here and now. Let's read on. This is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. 
the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So Elisha said, there's more with us. The enemy's troops, horses and chariots surrounded the town, but God's supernatural host of heaven surrounded Elisha. It wouldn't have mattered where he was. All of that protection was around him. All of those angels. And remember the Bible says about you that he's given his angels charge over you to watch over you in all your ways. It says that they're all ministering spirits. In other words, servants, they're spiritual servants sent forth to serve you if you're an heir of salvation. These are all available now. But the Bible also says that the angels obey the voice of his word. They were there the whole time, but to get them enacted took someone to speak God's word because it's the voice of God's word. God's word has to be spoken on earth. When God created the heaven and the earth, he made man and he gave us dominion. You have the dominion. You have the authority to bring things to pass. That's why the enemy, your flesh, the world, and many around you will fight you speaking what God says because it controls them, it affects them, it changes them, and it annihilates their plans. But you have the authority to speak on God's behalf. That's why we speak in the name of Jesus. That's what it means. And what you say, God watches over to perform. If you speak his word, you speak what he wants said. Amen. So what enabled Elisha's advantage in this scrimmage? I'm telling you right now, it's the words that came out of his mouth. Then the story continues on, of course, and it goes something like this. Elisha went out to meet all these troops that were surrounding the town he was in. And he said to them, who are you looking for? And they said, well, we're looking for Elisha. He said, you're in the wrong place. And he led them and they followed. Remember, this is the enemy's army. They just followed Elisha, they submitted to him because he has the authority. He led them in through the gates of the capital city, Samaria, of the northern half of the kingdom of Israel. He led them right into Samaria and gave them over to the king. Now, this is very important because the king said, what will I do with them? Will I kill them? And Elisha said, no, these are like men you've taken prisoners in war. Don't kill them feed them and send them back to their master. Hopefully he'll realize that he's up against something he can't win against. And so they all had a good feed, a good drink, went home happy and told the king what had happened. And then everything went along smoothly for a while. And then after a while, the king of Samaria lost it again. He went a bit nuts and he decided to invade Israel again. This time he chased them all inside the walls of the city of Samaria and then he laid siege on the city. And they were in there for a long, long time with the Syrians all around them. And then after a while inside they started running out of food. Now this got very serious. It became a famine in the city. It got so serious as we read in the Bible that there's the story of two women who made a deal about eating their babies. This is very, very disgusting and evil, but it reflects how desperately in need of food they were. So Elisha was staying with the elders of the city and he was locked in 
And then after a while, the king of Israel, he lost his cool. He temporarily went nuts and he decided that this whole thing was Elisha's fault because Elisha wouldn't let him kill the enemy soldiers that he had taken by the supernatural mastery of the host of heaven, the horsemen and chariots of fire. And he brought them alive into Samaria. So he went now and he's going to kill Elisha. Elisha was inside the house and he told the elders, he said, I hear the sound of the king coming. Lock the doors quickly because he wants to kill me. And now we pick up the story here as we're reading in God's word in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. When the king got there, Elisha spoke to him through the door. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Remember the great famine they were in, okay? They were in a famine and there was no way out. They were besieged by the enemy. They couldn't even go to their own fruit trees. But this is what the Lord says. Now, Elisha is showing us the law of confession because confession means to say the same thing. Elisha said exactly no more and no less than what God revealed to him to say. His tongue was bridled not to go beyond or not to go less than God's instruction. Amen. This is very important. So it literally is confession, saying what God says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 10 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Now we jump down to verse 17. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. Now, if he had predicted it, it's because he said it. In other words, exactly what he said, that there'll be a lot, there'll be no more shortage, there'll be an abundance and it'll be cheap within 24 hours. That's what the prophet confessed by what God said. And it came to pass exactly as he said it. Why? Because he spoke by revelation, not by what his eyes could see, his ears could hear. It wasn't by his stomach growling. It wasn't by anything that the natural man could think of. It wasn't from something he dreamed up in his mind. It wasn't from pressure of the enemy. If he was listening to the enemy, he would have said, we're all going to starve. We're going to die in here. We might as well start eating each other. He didn't say any of that. He said what God said to say, by this time tomorrow, within 24 hours, there'll be an abundance of food and it'll be dirt cheap and it's going to be sold right here in this city. Wow. So sometimes when we confess what God says, it can happen quickly. Like David said to Goliath, I'm going to take your head off your shoulder and feed all of the army of the Philistines to the birds and animals today. He said it was going to happen today. When Jesus did certain healings, they were instant. When Caleb said, we can go in and take the promised land, let's go now. What he said didn't happen there and then. It happened 45 years later. But what he said happened. When Abraham changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of a great multitude, he didn't have a baby for about a year, but he kept saying it. And eventually it came to pass. Amen. And he kept saying it, and his children did become a vast multitude of different nations. 
It happened the way he said it. Amen. And this can happen for you too. You've got to say what God says, what's in his written word, what's quickened to you in the spirit as you meditate in his word and as you're waiting on him or even as you're worshiping. And also the words the Holy Spirit puts on your tongue as you exercise the gift of speaking in tongues. This is a very great significance in the area of operating the law of confession. Amen. Because when you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit can get your tongue to say exactly what needs to be said because that tongue that he's in control of controls your whole body. It steers the ship and it sets on fire things in a holy fire for God. Amen. And it doesn't bring out sweet and bitter water from the same opening. It brings out the sweet, pure water of God. Amen. When you are speaking in tongues, you are saying something that the Holy Spirit can watch over and enact by His power. You don't have to even know what it is. And you certainly don't have to use your ability to bring it to pass. You just yield your tongue to what God once said. Amen. I think that's a great statement to sum up this whole series. Yield your tongue to what God once said. Fill up your heart till it overflows in your words. Amen. Speak the living word of God. We used to have a saying, speak it out and it'll come about. In the book of Job, it was said, you will decree a thing and it will be established unto you. Amen. No matter how long it takes, whether it's five seconds or 45 years, it's always right to confess what God says. Amen. It's always right, whether it feels right, whether you can see the results, whether other people tell you you were wrong, it's always right to confess what God says because this is about our relationship with Him and to keep honour in that relationship, to demonstrate faith in Him, we say what He says because God is true even if every man's a liar. Now we have to note that when Elisha said there's going to be an abundance and it'll be cheap, sold right here in the markets of this city tomorrow, it sounded ridiculously outlandish against all hope in the natural realm. And when Elisha made this confession, the king's officer had a really, really silly response to it, one we should never, ever do. Let's read on. This is 2 Kings chapter 7 going to start in verse 1 again, add verse 2, then we're going to do 16 and 17. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and ten quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Note, he is contradicting what God just said. Not a very good move. We need to bridle our tongues when we don't understand and keep quiet. Amen. Listen to what the prophet's response was. This is God speaking directly back to this man that just ridiculed him. Elisha replied, You'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Wow. He walked right into God saying something negative about him. 
Let's see what happened. We jump down to verse 16. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. Of course, in between is the story of the four leprous men. They got up. God made the Arameans hear the sound of a great army coming. They panicked. They left everything they had with them, clothing, food, money, gold, horses, garments, the lot. They just left it and fled. And they ran so far and so fast that there was nobody to challenge the ordinary people of Samaria to go out and to just take what they needed. That's what it says. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that five quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God predicted, or you could say, as the man of God said. So we've got much to learn from this amazing story. If God gives you something to say, confess it exactly as he gives it to you. Even if it doesn't make sense to your intellect, even if it doesn't make you feel good, and even if it makes you sound ridiculous, say it. Say what he says in his name. When it's his word, he has the power to and has promised to watch over his word to perform it, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. If someone else gives a word that they believe came from God, begin by testing it against God's word and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Has it been confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses? If you are convinced that this really is a word from God, after it's been tested and proved, then repeat it. If it's been tested not true against God's word, correct it if you're in the position to. In other words, if you're a parent, you can correct a child. If you're a leader, you can correct someone in the team. If you're a pastor, you can correct someone in the congregation in love, of course. If you're the boss at work, you can correct someone there. You see, it's got to be somebody that you've got the authority to work with. If it's a peer and you have access to them, you may have to be very, very humble and gentle in how you go about this. If it's your leader, you have to be extra humble, very subservient in the way you approach this, and do it very wisely according to what God says. But of course, if it's somebody you've seen on the internet, you've got no access to them, you can't just catch a plane, fly over there and make an appointment with them and go in and correct them. That's just not going to happen, most probably. So if you find out that it's against the scripture or you feel uneasy about it or it hasn't been witnessed by two or three witnesses and you can't correct it or speak to the originator about it, then say nothing. Don't gossip to third people about it. Say nothing because you don't know what God's doing and there's always a possibility that you could be wrong. Amen. If you don't have the opportunity to say, excuse me, but I just don't understand how this fits in the scripture. Okay. Even if you're unsure about it, say nothing. Out of respect for God, because he's able to get done what he wants to get done. He can speak through a donkey if he wants to. Out of respect for the other person, say nothing if you're not sure. Just say nothing about it. Leave it alone. 
do not under any circumstances do what the king's officer did and ridicule the message because it ended up getting him killed when he should have been celebrating. In the way of application, and I apologize if I repeat some of this, check if what you are hearing either directly or through someone else is a genuine word from God. If it is, you can confess it too and leave it to God to bring it to pass. If it's proven untrue, leave it alone, correct it if you can, denounce it depending on who said it and your God-given authority to correct it. Remember, maintain your peace and hold your tongue. Don't buy into this unless it's your place to do so. Amen. Remember, true faith may look naive to the observer, but God is pleased with faith and he's expecting us to confess what he says. True faith may look very naive to you. You know, I was at a church one evening service and some of the young people I knew there came to me and they said, there's a young man here who believes he's a Christian, but we don't think he is. And so they got him to talk to me. And then I said to him, are you a Christian? He kept confessing that he was saved. And I know now that the way we become saved is to confess Jesus is Lord. And I thought, I'm not going to say anything against this young man's confession, because even if he hasn't yet received the new birth, he can't help but steer himself in that direction if he keeps saying he's saved and he's saying it genuinely. I'm certainly not going to argue with him. So I left him alone. And I think that's wise because I can't make him saved. I can't do that for him. It's got to come out of his own heart that he confesses Jesus is Lord. And that will work for you too. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that he is Lord, you will be saved. So what can we learn from the Bible examples of the law of confession in operation? Remember from the 12 spies, which was number one, we learn you will always get exactly what you say consistently. Number two, from David, we learn that you can build a highway of holiness with your words for your future. And remember, on that highway of holiness, there's no ravenous beasts and not even a fool can get lost on it. Amen. Number three, from Elijah, we learned that with our confessions, we can bring God's written word to bear on our nations and cause our leaders to repent and to come into line with what God says. And number four today, from Elisha, we learn that we should speak spiritual reality as is revealed to us, not physically obtain facts like his servant did or like the officer leaning on the king did. One of the most important applications of the law of confession is what we find here in the Bible, which talks about how we can be saved. You might be saying, what do I need to be saved from? Well, the Bible speaks of a judgment day coming in which everybody will give an account for what they've done on earth. As a result of sinning, those that are guilty will spend eternity in hell, the Bible teaches. That's a very long time. It's torment. It's horrible. The flames are never quenched. The worms do not die. That's what Jesus taught us. He was implying that hell is an extremely bad place to end up. And yet every one of us has sinned. So we're all doomed for destiny in hell unless someone rescues us. 
you know, like if somebody is drowning off the side of a ship and they throw them a lifesaver, they are saved if they hold on to it. And then those that pull them on board the ship are called their saviors. It's just a grammatical change based on the verb to save. So in the Bible, it says that somebody needed to save us from our destiny of ending up in hell because we've all sinned. The Savior, in our case, is Jesus. After Jesus had lived on earth for 33 years, he'd gone around healing the sick, forgiving those in sin. He'd gone around demonstrating the love of God, showing exactly what God is like. He was taken, given a false trial, false arrest, false imprisonment, whipped mercilessly, wrongly accused of blasphemy and sentenced to death, wrongly. But he took that sentence willingly because when they killed him on this mocked up charge, he didn't actually die because of what they said. He let himself be killed to pay for what I've done wrong and what you've done wrong. It's amazing and it shows the love of God that Jesus was willingly available to suffer the extreme agonizing death of being whipped, nailed to the cross, exposed to the elements until he died. Then the Bible teaches that he went to hell for three days and three nights where any sinner would go. Anybody carrying that sin would go to hell. Your sin was on Jesus. My sin was on Jesus when he went into that place. But after three days, the Father in heaven said, the shedding of my son's innocent blood, because he's the only man that never sinned, is enough to pay for the sin of the world. And he declared that the shedding of Jesus' blood was enough to cancel out the consequences of the sin of every human being. And then Jesus rose from the dead to prove that those sins were paid for, annihilated, quashed, cancelled out, expunged, etc. And when he came back, he set up a plan of salvation for you and me. And in that plan, we can receive the benefit of what he did only if we engage the law of confession. Because the Bible says here in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So getting saved, having a saviour, receiving salvation are all based on that verb to be saved. Amen. You can be saved today, saved from a destiny in hell, calling upon what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and paid for your sins, and you can receive the benefits of what he did by confessing that he is your Lord, believing that he's raised from the dead and receiving his new birth. Because Jesus himself said, you must be born again. And you can do this today quite simply with a prayer. In Acts 2.21, it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call on him is not just to think it, is not just to agree with it, but actually to say it. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And if you say this prayer to God, say it with all of your heart and mean it sincerely. 
and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I can guarantee you did because I've met him. He's definitely alive. I've done exactly what I'm talking about. I was saved. I received his new birth, and you can today too. So simply say this prayer after me. Say it to God. Mean it with all your heart. And be aware that this is about your eternal destiny, whether you end up in hell or where Jesus is in heaven and stay at his right hand. This is your decision, and I encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. Simply say these words. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my old life. I renounce all of my old sinful ways. Today, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you went to hell on my behalf. I also believe that you rose from the dead and thereby prove that my sin is paid for. I confess you are now my Lord. I receive you as my Saviour, and by your grace I will follow you as my Good Shepherd from this day forward. I receive your new birth. I'm born again, and I believe my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm asking for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you said that prayer and meant it sincerely, I believe you're born again. I encourage you to read the Bible. Pray to God every day. He's now your Father. Don't go the devil's way. Stay with Jesus and make sure you find somebody who is a believer that you can tell. If you don't know anybody, write to us in the comments below or on Messenger and talk to us because we can certainly pray with you. And if we know where there's a church in your area that you could be part of, where you can meet other Christians, we will certainly direct you to them. In the meantime, let's stay with God and let's remember, hold fast our confession. For those who said the prayer, your confession is, Jesus is Lord. I'm born again. My name's in the Lamb's Book of Life and I've been shifted out of the devil's kingdom. For the rest of us, there are many, many other confessions to add to that. Ones like, by whose stripes I was healed. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have the mind of Christ. I'm one spirit with the Lord. God is guiding me because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and many others. And I wanted you to note also that I'm putting these sort of teachings out every day on Facebook and in other places that you can see and read. And if you want them sent to you by messenger or email, please contact me. Give me your email address or who you are so I can send them and you'll receive them six days a week because we need the Word of God now more than ever at any time in history. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you in the next message.